Okay, uh, great. If you want to get your Bibles and open back up to Genesis chapter 12, uh, we're going to be looking there this morning. Uh, this morning we're starting a new preaching series uh, and the title of the series is called Promises and Pilgrims, Trusting the Faithful God. Probably all know what a promise is, but what about a, a, a pilgrim? A pilgrim is uh, someone who is on a journey through a strange land looking for home. And on Sunday mornings over the next two to three months, we're going to be looking at one pilgrim in particular. One man who's on a journey through a strange land looking for home. And that man is Abraham. And in many ways, the life of Abraham seems a long way removed from our present day. It's removed in time. Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Jesus was born. So about 4,000 years before our time. It's also removed in place. Uh, Abraham spent the first half of his life in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is around about Iran. Uh, and then the second half of his life was spent in the land of Canaan. Uh, a long way uh, from Lancashire, England. And this means that as we go through the story, there'll be names and places and cultural customs that are unfamiliar to us. Well, as we work through these chapters in Genesis, we're also going to see that Abraham's experience is not actually that different from our experience as Christians. Here's the reason why. Abraham's pilgrimage is a pilgrimage that's shaped by the Lord's promises. It's the promises of God that make Abraham a pilgrim. And that's true of us this morning if we've come to trust Jesus. If we are believers in Jesus, we too are pilgrims because of the promises of the gospel. In fact, the promises that God makes to Abraham and the promises of the gospel are not separate promises. They are related promises. We're going to see that over the next few weeks. Here in Genesis chapter 12, Paul writes, the apostle, that we have the gospel in seed form. Paul writes in, in Galatians, that in Genesis chapter 12, as Abraham hears the promises, he hears the gospel, the seed of the gospel that is going to result in the Lord Jesus Christ, the full bloom. As we look at the life of Abraham, I think we're going to see two big lessons, two big lessons that we're going to keep seeing week after week. The first lesson is we will see what it looks like to live as a pilgrim trusting in God's promises. The New Testament holds Abraham up as a, as a great model of, of faith. And as we travel with Abraham through these chapters of Genesis, we're gonna see what it looks like to live by faith. We're gonna be helped to understand what it means to live a life of faith. The second big lesson that we're going to see is that God is faithful to keep his promise. What God says he will do, he will do. Sometimes we may be tempted to judge, by what, judge God by what we think he should do or what we would want him to do. People say, I can't trust God because there's so much suffering and my life is difficult. Or maybe people stop trusting God when a, a loved one dies. But to do that is to assess God's faithfulness according to what we want him to do, not according to what God has promised to do. God has not promised us that life in this world will be free from suffering. 
or that life will be easy. God has not promised us that we will never stand at the graveside of our loved ones. But what we'll see as we go through the book of Genesis is that everything God has promised, he will do. We're going to see that time and time again. And at the end of chapter 11, where we, where we started, it doesn't seem like a, a great place to dive into the book of Genesis. It doesn't seem like a very promising place, does it, to, to start a, a new preaching series with a, a genealogy. But we're going to start with this genealogy at the end of chapter 11 so that we can have some introductions. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. As we look at this genealogy, first of all, we're going to have an introduction to the book of Genesis. The, the word Genesis just means origins. It's a book of beginnings. And the book of Genesis is split up into 10 episodes. Some of those episodes are longer than others, but each episode begins with this phrase, these are the generations of. Ten times we get that phrase through the book of Genesis. The first episode uh, begins Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Genesis 5 verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And, and so it goes on until we've got through all 10 episodes. And so you can see here from uh, chapter 11, verse 27, we're at the start of a new episode. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. This is a new episode. In fact, we're exactly at the halfway mark in the book of Genesis. This is episode number six of 10. Why, why in Genesis is there this focus on these genealogies, on these family trees? Well, it all flows from the beginning of the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, if you know anything about the Bible, you'll know that God made a good world. He made the first man and the first woman. He gave them his, his good word and they enjoyed his, his blessings. But then, sadly, in Genesis 3, instead of listening to God's good word, the man and the woman listened to the word of the, the serpent, and instead of God's blessing, they find God's curse. And Genesis uh, 4 to 11 makes pretty sad reading. There's this repeated pattern of rebellion and judgment, rebellion and, and curse. And right from the outset of this rebellion, God has promised that he will do something, something definitive about it. Let me read you from chapter 3, right after the great rebellion. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of the, your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God has promised to, to do something uh, and he was going to do it, he's going to do it through the offspring or the seed of the woman. This is why the genealogies are so important. And as the first five episodes unfold, we see this family line dividing and at every division, we see that only one line is the line through which God is going to return blessing to his world. And here at the end of chapter 11, the focus is on the line of this man called Terah. 
So that's an introduction to the book of Genesis. Now, in these first verses, we get an introduction to the man Abraham, the pilgrim that we're going to be following over the next couple of months. Let me read uh, chapter verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So there's Abraham's dad, Terah. Uh, Terah uh, uh, has two other sons, Haran and Nahor, and he also has a nephew called Lot. We're told there, sadly, that Haran, Abraham's brother, died. Uh, and this family, they live in Ur of the Chaldeans. For those who've been listening to our Bible studies in the book of Daniel, you will know something about where Ur of the Chaldeans is. Chaldea is in the region of, of Babylonia. That's where Abraham comes from. And he's married, uh, we see, to Sarah, verse 26. We also get a few other uh, family names there. And then in verse 31, we see that uh, this family is a family that's on the move. They're moving from Ur of the Chaldeans uh, and they're setting off to Canaan. Here in Genesis 12, we're not told why uh, the family are heading off to Canaan, but Terah, Abraham's father, uh, seems to be the one who's taking the lead. He's the one who takes his family to Canaan. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settle there. They set out. Canaan is the, the destination, but they don't make it. They settle in Haran. Haran just happens to have uh, the same name uh, as uh, Terah's son, who, who's died. And Haran becomes the place where Terah himself dies. That's where he spends his final days. So that's introduction to Genesis and introduction uh, to Abraham. Now let's uh, look at these promises. The thing to know about these promises that we have in verses uh, 1 to 3 is that they are grand and gracious promises. Grand and gracious promises. Here is Abraham. He's in the land of Haran. He's probably been there for quite a few years, enough to settle at least. Probably has house and business and farm, friends and reputation. His father's died, and we know from elsewhere in the Bible that at this point, Abraham is in his 70s. And then, seemingly out of the blue, we read verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, and the Lord comes with an instruction for Abraham. He says, go from your country, your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. That's the command, and attached to this command are these grand and gracious promises. What does God promise Abraham? Well, the major note uh, in these promises, verses 1 to 3, is blessing. That's the kind of umbrella summary of these promises. Blessing. Five times in three verses, verses 1 to 3, you can see the word blessing. God's blessing is his divine favour. To be blessed is to be in a right relationship with the Lord and to have his smile upon you. 
Blessing is what's there in Genesis chapter 1 after man and woman are created. God blesses them and he commissions them to be gardeners uh, in his perfect world. They're to rule the cosmos with God's blessing. And this blessing, it means peace with God. It means peace with creation. God's blessing is the absolute opposite of the divine curse. And if, if we knew what was really valuable, we would seek God's blessing like nothing else. If, if our hearts weren't so bent out of shape, we would seek God's blessing more than money, more than fame, more than status. God's blessing would be more precious to us if our hearts weren't bent out of shape. And under this umbrella of blessing, there are two other aspects to this promise that God makes to Abraham. The first is offspring or, or seed. Like blessing, this idea of offspring or seed is also a big theme in the book of Genesis. And God promises Abraham, he says, I will make you a great nation. Abraham's family is going to become vast. God says, I will make you a great name. Back in chapter 11, we haven't looked at this, but in chapter 11, just before the call of Abraham, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. There we see humanity and their pride joining together to build a great tower to, to reach the heavens. They do that in order to, to make a great name for themselves. God comes and, and scatters the nations he thwarts their plans but here with these grand and gracious promises God promises to give Abraham a great name Abraham's not going to have to pick up his cement mixer he's not going to have to build a build a tower for himself God is just going to give it him a nation and a name this offspring this seed that's going to come from Abraham the other thing that's under this umbrella of blessing is, is a land. God promises to give the offspring of Abraham a land. He says, go to a land I will show you. When Abraham reaches the land of Canaan in verse 7, God says to your offspring, I will give this land. We'll think more about offspring and land in the coming weeks. Like I said, these three things, blessing, land, offspring, they're all big themes in the book of Genesis and these are grand and, and gracious promises. Really it's hard to overestimate the significance of these three short verses at the start of chapter 12. It's, it's almost impossible to overestimate the bigness of these promises. If you were to go outside uh, on a clear night and look at the night sky, I wonder what sort of words you would use to describe uh, the vision that you, you saw with all the stars. What describing words you would choose? You'd probably struggle to find words that would do them justice. Big, large, huge, massive, ginormous. They just don't quite do it. And the grandness of these promises, it, it's hard to find words uh, to explain or, or describe the scope of these promises because these promises are not just promises for Abraham. These are, are going to be global promises. You can see that from verse 3. God is going to bless Abraham 
but he's going to bless Abraham so that Abraham can be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. In these promises to Abraham, we see the seeds of God's great plan to rescue and restore blessings to his world. These promises are going to be repeated through the book of Genesis in increasing detail. And they're going to be repeated, in fact, throughout the whole Old Testament. These promises will shape uh, God's dealings with his world. Empires will rise and fall because of these promises. And ultimately, these promises centre on the Lord Jesus Christ. God becoming man. He's the one who is the offspring, the seed of Abraham. Around 2,000 years after God spoke these promises to Abraham, a man called Peter would stand in the temple in Jerusalem only a month or two after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what he would say. He was speaking to those who were Israelites, those descendants of Abraham. He said, you are the sons of the covenant that God made with your father Abraham. And then he quotes chapter 12 of Genesis. It says, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then he goes on to explain, God, having raised up his servant, that's Jesus, sent him first to you to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. It's through Jesus that God is going to bless his world. It's through Jesus that we can enter into this story of God's blessing. It's through Jesus that we can share in these promises that are made to Abraham. These promises that mean peace with God, these promises that are going to reach all the way to the new creation, to a world made new where there is no curse. These are our grand promises indeed, aren't they? And they're also gracious promises. Because Abraham doesn't do anything to earn these promises. He's not looking for God. At the end of the book of Joshua, we learn that Abraham, like his father and the rest of his family, are pagan idolaters. They're living in Ur of the Chaldees, that place near Babylonia. Abraham deserves to fade away under the curse of God. But in his grace, God comes to speak to Abraham. It's God that takes the initiative. Now the Lord said to Abraham, in his generous grace, God says that he will give Abraham a great name. If God had not come to, to speak to Abraham, we wouldn't be talking about him today. He would be as well known as his great-grandfather, Serug, who isn't very well known. Uh, look again at verses 1 to 3. Look at all those I wills. I will show you, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great. God is going to do all of this for Abraham simply because he is gracious. Because he wants to bless Abraham and he wants to bless his world. And God speaks to us in his grace this morning. He calls us into the Abraham story, which is the story of Jesus Christ. He calls us uh, to receive his blessings in Jesus Christ. And he does so, not because we deserve it, but because he is gracious. 
If this morning you have heard the, the promise of the gospel and you've come to believe in Jesus, don't fall into the trap of thinking that there must be something special about you. You've come to trust the gospel because God is gracious. And if this morning you've not yet to come to trust in Jesus and to know God's blessing, don't believe the lie that these promises can't possibly be for you because you're not born in the right family or maybe you're not good enough. No, the promises are grand and they are gracious. They are initiated by God and they are for those who don't deserve them. How does Abraham respond to these grand and gracious promises? Well, he believes in God and he obeys God's word. God says, go to the land I will show you, verse 1. Then in verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord told him. When Abraham arrives in Canaan, he travels the length of the land, stopping at places that would become familiar to his descendants. As he hears the promise again in verse 7, he builds an altar to worship. In verse 8, he builds another altar and calls upon the name of the Lord. This is what we could call the obedience of faith. Abraham obeys and worships God because he trusts him. And this wouldn't have been easy for Abraham. At the age of 75, he'd heard these promises. 75, he was well settled in Haran. And at the age of 75, he uprooted himself and he set off and became a pilgrim. There's, there's never a time that's too late to hear the gospel promises and to respond. And there are already pointers here of other things that won't be easy for Abraham as he trusts God. Abraham trusts these promises in spite of his circumstances. It doesn't seem like he's going to be a great nation. We're told uh, there in chapter 11, uh, verse 29, that his wife, Sarah, is, is barren. He's promised this land, this land of Canaan, but it already belongs to someone else. In verse 8, verse 7, the Canaanites are there. These are grand and gracious promises, but being a pilgrim will not be easy. The life of faith can never be lived according to what we see. It must be lived according to the promises that we hear. And as we uh, move towards the last section of our passage today, verses 10 to 20, we're going to see that there's going to be another test of Abraham's faith. The test of faith, verses 10 to 20. We've had introductions, we've had grand and gracious promises, and now a test of faith. This test to Abraham's faith comes in the form of a famine, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Suddenly the land that God had promised to Abraham looks more like a grave than a bounteous provision. What will Abraham do? Well, he makes the decision, it seems, without consulting the Lord to go down to Egypt. If you know anything of the Old Testament story, you know that traveling down to Egypt generally isn't a good thing. And on uh, the way to Egypt, Abraham foresees a problem. 
His wife, Sarah, is, is very beautiful. And he's concerned that the, the, the men in Egypt will see the beauty of his wife and, and take his wife and kill him. And so he devises, is a, devises a plan. He arranges a deception. It's a selfish deception. And it shows that Abraham has taken his eye off God's promise. He says to Sarah, Sarah, say you're my sister. Then Abraham thinks, uh, then, then they won't kill him. They might even treat him well uh, because uh, he's Sarah's brother. When put to the test here, Abraham resorts to his own cunning rather than trusting God's word. And his actions are deceptive and, and shameful. And the challenge comes to us, doesn't it, this morning, when we face trials and tests, will we trust God's word or will we resort to our own wisdom? Will we trust God's word or will we resort to ungodly means? Jesus described those who are his disciples as those who deny themselves, not those who save themselves. And here Abraham has devised this plan to save himself. It's so easy for us, isn't it, when difficulties arise that test our faith, to make decisions based purely on our own understanding. That's what Abraham does here. And through his own wisdom, he gets himself into a right old mess. He may have food in his stomach. In verse 16, we're told that, Ab uh, that Pharaoh was treating him very well, but now his wife has been taken into the household of Pharaoh. Abraham here displays shaky faith. He takes his eyes off the promises. But what we see is despite Abraham's shaky faith, the Lord remains faithful. So the Lord afflicts Pharaoh with plagues. He rescues Sarah and Abraham from Egypt. And so in verse 19, Pharaoh says, now then, here is your wife, take her and go. This is a kind of a smaller version of the great Exodus rescue. Pharaoh, the plagues, telling God's people to go. God remains faithful. He will keep his promises. Even though Abraham's faith isn't perfect, God will keep his promises. I find this final section really encouraging. In the New Testament, Abraham is held up as an example of faith. We will see as we go through the life of, the Abraham, of Abraham that his faith grows. His faith becomes strong, but it's not perfect faith. As Christians, we don't put our faith in faith, if, if you know what I mean by that. We don't examine our faith and if our faith is strong, then we have confidence. No, we put our faith, we put our trust in God's promises and in the God who keeps his promises. And he is faithful even when our faith wavers. God has promised to bless Abraham and he will. He's promised to bless all peoples of the earth through Abraham and he will. Jesus Christ is the yes and the amen to all of God's promises. And God calls us to trust him. We don't do that by trying to sum up some special ability within ourselves called faith. Faith grows as we hear God's promises and as we see that God is always faithful to keep his word. And that's why gathering together is so important. 
we gather together so that we can hear again the promises of God. That is why even during this strange few months of, of lockdown, uh, we have, have made efforts to gather together in spite of not being able to, to meet at the chapel because we need to hear the promises. Because it's the promises that keep us walking as pilgrims in the life of faith. Remember this morning that God always keeps his promises. He is faithful even when our faith is shaky and small. We're going to sing a song at the end that celebrates God's faithfulness and his ability to keep us. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast.